Amen. I love that. You know, this was not on purpose. <laughs> it was all men up there today. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, open them up to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, we are going to be uh, talking about uniquely gifted and designed. And so we are going to be looking at those things um, as, as it relates to men and women. And one of the things I really enjoyed was, I really enjoyed being here on the women's uh, thing. This room was full of ladies, and they were singing, and it sounded so good to just hear a late, all women voices. And at the men's retreat, when we've gone away, it's been really good to just hear all men voices. But one of my favorite things is when we're all together and we get to hear women's and men's voices. And uh, it is awesome the way that God has designed life, the way he has designed men and women. And we are different. God made us different. This is not brain surgery. I remember Time, uh, Time Magazine came out with this thing some time ago that said men and women are different. We know men and women are different. That is obvious. And uh, God has uniquely uh, designed us. And we need to properly function in life the way God intends as a man and as a woman. One of the things I think about is that Satan wants to destroy people. And one of the things that he does is he lies about things. Next week, we will read um, the account of Genesis where God created man and woman. And we're going to look at the fall where Satan actually spoke to and tempted Eve, and then she and Adam sinned. And one of the things, when you look at the way that Satan misled Adam and Eve, he said, hey, God's mean. God wants to wreck your life. God's holding out on you. And you know, those lies have not stopped being told. Satan is still doing the same things. He takes the good things that God has planned, the good things that God has designed, and he spins them as evil and bad. And uh, that's one of the things we need to understand what God says so that we don't fall for the things that Satan tells us that aren't true. Now our passage this morning is going to address um, some of our current issues. Now this is a challenging passage that many people skip. In fact, there are people who don't preach through 1 Corinthians because they don't want to talk about this. And this passage that we're going to be looking at this week and next week is challenging. There are things about it that are hard to figure out. What does this mean? What is the significance? What was going on in the culture? There are hard things, but there are also things that are obvious. But I would just say this, people don't like preaching this passage for the hard things, and people don't like preaching this passage for the things that are easy to figure out. And the reason is that the things that are easy to figure out are not popular. And so everybody's worried about, oh man, if I preach this, everybody's gonna hate me, people are gonna be mad. Um, but what is one of the things that we think about as we think about God's word and as preaching and all those things? It is not my job to come up here and make up my own stuff. It is not my job to come up here and figure out, okay, what would everybody wanna hear? Let me tell them that. It is my job to get up here, read what God says, and faithfully communicate it. And that's actually not just true for me as a preacher. That is true for every single Christian. It is not our job to read the Bible and squeeze it into what we want to do, pull out whatever views we want to have. We are people that we open up God's Word, 
and we bow down before God in submission to him and we just figure out, hey God, what are the good things you tell us? I'm gonna do that. So this passage, um, some of the huge cultural issues, and we're gonna be looking at this this week and next week, but some of the huge cultural issues, this actually addresses gender issues. The fact that there is a man and that there is a woman and that God created men and God created women. And one of the ways you know if you're a man or a woman is you look at your biology. You are not who you feel you are. You are who God has made you to be. That is not a popular message today. And we live in a culture where that, those basic things, those obvious things that everybody knows that are plain, are being attacked. And one of the things that is tragic is we can feel like we're in a culture war and we can start to, in a sense, fight back. This is the thing that we need to all remember is that God loves people who are struggling with their gender. God loves kids who are growing up in this society that as they go through the teenage years are struggling with various things in their life. And instead of having loving wisdom speaking into their life, they are told all kinds of destructive lies. God loves those people and we are not against people who are struggling. And it's not just people outside that struggle. Like this is an issue that we need to consider for our whole family. So we'll look at where that gets touched on in this passage. Um, because we live in this world, we all have struggles. And so those are things that we need to be aware of. The second thing is, this talks about the God's intended relationship between men and women. Uh, 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 God's design for marriage relationships, submission, exercising leadership, and the differences that God intends for men and women as they function in their roles. So you wanna know what one of the things that Satan does? Satan takes um, men who want to embrace leadership that God intends, and he gets them to do it in an abusive, mean-spirited, unbiblical way. And then Satan goes, see, that's God's design for leadership. When it is not God's design for leadership, it is Satan's design for leadership. So we're going to look at that this morning. Um, God takes submission, and submission when it's done incorrectly. And, God, and, and so Satan will take incorrect submission, and I said that wrong initially, but, um, but just in the whole area of submission, Satan wants to pollute it and turn it into something that God never said it should be. And then God's, or Satan's design then is for men to say, yeah, I'm not gonna be who God said because it's misdefined, and for women to say, I'm not gonna do what God said because it's misdefined. And what it comes down to is we need to understand what God says about men and women, and we need to embrace that. And so we're going to be looking at that in this passage. You know, as it relates to just approaching uh, passages that are challenging, um, there are some things hard to understand, and there are some things hard to obey. This passage has both. Um, and the message of this uh, when, when rightly understood is a blessing and an encouragement. Um, rightly obeying and, uh, and, under, and rightly understanding and obeying Scripture is a necessity for believers. I was thinking about uh, the Apostle Paul when he talked about the, the, the Thessalonians. One of the things that he says about the Thessalonians is he says that when he went to them and he preached to them, he compliments them because they accepted what he taught not as the words of men, but as the words of God. 
And so as they accepted that, they were transformed, they were changed, and their example and testimony went out everywhere. So that was very good. And then the other thing is that he says to the, to the, um, the Bereans, he says that they were more, more noble-minded. If you look at Acts chapter 17, verse 11, it says, now those Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and they received the word with all eagerness. So they eagerly accepted God's word. Um, but they were more noble-minded, eagerly accepting God's word. That's what the Thessalonians did. But you wanna know what the Bereans did? The Bereans took it a next step further. They examined the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. This is one of the great things, is that um, as Christians, this is one of the things we are committed to, is that nobody stands between us and God. There are religious systems that say only the leaders can understand the Bible. You don't really need to read it. Um, because you can't understand it anyway. I mean, if you want to read it, go ahead. But only the leaders know what it means. So they'll tell you. You know, that is not a biblical concept. Every single one of us stands before God and is accountable to read the Bible, to understand what God says, and to obey it. So um, this is the other thing that often people think. People think that there are things in the Bible that we cannot understand that are unimportant, that are unnecessary. And um, one of the things I would tell you is that there were some things that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. And those things did not apply to the universal church. They only applied to the Corinthians. Um, that's why our first Corinthians was actually the second letter that Paul wrote. The first letter that Paul wrote is lost. We don't know where it is. It's not in the Bible. And that's because that first letter was just for the Corinthians. Everything that God has preserved and put in the Bible is not just for the people that it was written for. Everything in the Bible, and that includes today's passage, was for them, but it is for us too. And so this passage here, um, this is uh, Peter talking about Paul. And uh, he's talking about uh, some of Paul's teaching, and he says, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. And there are some things in them that are hard to understand. So isn't it encouraging when, when you and I run across a passage that's challenging? Isn't that nice that we're not the only ones who read the Bible and find things in it challenging? The apostle Peter says about what Paul wrote. Some of the stuff he writes is hard to understand. And so that's an encouraging thing. But here's the deal. When, when we run across things that are challenging, one of the things that I found in my life is that the challenging things, as we pray, as we ask God for help, as we dig into them diligently, are sometimes the most encouraging, beneficial things because we, we think deeply. We know that we need God's help. And so those challenging passages are not passages to be avoided. We should dive into them with an attitude of humility and an attitude of spiritual faithfulness. And then this is what um, Peter goes on to say. He says, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Can I tell you what's really key in this verse? A couple things. Well, you know how Peter just says what Paul's writing? They twist it 
the way they do the other scriptures, Peter, in this verse, is calling Paul's writings scripture. So at the time these things were written, people knew that they were inspired. The apostles knew that they were inspired. The early church accepted these writings as inspired. But I want to just say this. The ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction. So this is the benefit of going to seminary. This is the benefit of studying and, and, and doing things diligently. And, and I, not just seminary, not just that, but for the average person in the church, the average Christian, to educate yourself, to study, to consider all that the Bible says, is when you approach the Bible, you should not be ignorant. As you read what people write about this passage, so much of it, is a distortion. It is based on things that are not true. People say things about this passage that if you read the Bible, you know is wrong. In fact, people say things about this passage that if you read this passage, you know are wrong. There are tons of people, like this passage has so many views about so many things. And many of those things are obviously wrong. They discount, they disregard, they twist Scripture. And so we don't want to be ignorant. And, and it's not just a matter of ignorance. It's also the unstable. Those are people who are not spiritually grounded. People who value their own opinion over God's opinion. People who live for their own preferences rather than to submit and obey God. And so um, this is one of the things that we understand here. We have the help of the Holy Spirit as we read God's word and we can diligently study it. So let's read this passage. And as I read it, um, you'll figure out some things. Wanna, wanna let you off the hook right away and tell you that I'm not gonna come to you today and say all the ladies need to start wearing hats to church or veils over their head. So that's not where we're headed. But I, I do want to say this. If that was what the New Testament was teaching, if that was what this passage was teaching, it wouldn't matter how culturally unacceptable it was. We would happily embrace it and do it. And so the reason I'm not telling us to do that is because when I read this passage, I don't think that's what's being said here. And so we'll talk about that. But let's read this passage, and, and this passage is going to be this week and next week. We're going to do verse 1 through 4, and we're just going to cover the very beginning of verse 4 this week, and then we're going to jump into the rest next week. And uh, so let's get into the. I'll read the whole thing, though. Uh, our first point is that we need to love God's Word. Let's look at this. Verse 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. So that's number one, loving God's word. We'll come back to that. Number two, we need to function in the roles that God has designed. Let's look at this. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. And then our third point this morning is that you need to use your gifts in the body of Christ. Let's look at this. Every man who prays and prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. 
but every wife who prays and prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but a woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as a woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And the things which are from God, and all things are from God, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Okay, so there are some things in this passage that are challenging. Challenging to figure out the head coverings, the hair, and what are we supposed to do with those things today? Um, Are there any men with long hair? I mean, we probably have some men in here who have long hair. Are there any ladies with short hair? How does all of that, how does our current practice factor into that? And so we're going to address that (laughs) next week. So we're, uh, but we're going to focus on a few of these other things this week. So here's the first thing. Let's just emphasize this. And I think this is the key. This is what actually makes me peaceful when I get up and preach, is that it's my job not to come up with my own stuff, but just figure out what God says and encourage people to obey it. And it is your job to open up your Bible, to read it, to think about it. So here's the thing that I want to just point out here. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, one of the things I think about with all of this is that we need examples. One of the things that is so helpful and so encouraging to us in life is when we have examples. And the Apostle Paul imitated Christ. And he challenges people to imitate him. It's one of the things I think about. Um, Ezra says this. Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, says, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Do you see the order there? You read it, you study it, you practice it, and then you teach it. You know, um, I've heard many people say, Hey, I don't, I don't want to hear people how they did it right. I don't want to hear about how anybody read the Bible, obeyed it, and was blessed. I, I don't want to hear that. I would rather have people get up and say, oh yeah, I read this, but I failed, and, and, and then I did this, and then, I, didn't, then, then I, I blew it, and I didn't do that, and God says we should do this, but, but I don't do that. I, I struggle in all these areas. Did you know that one of the qualifications for being a leader and a teacher is that you know what the Bible says and that you do what the Bible says? The Apostle Paul never, 
uh, pretended to be perfect. He wrote, he wrote Romans chapter 7, verse 14 to 28, where he talked about his struggle with the flesh. And you want to know something? Everybody struggles. Every teacher struggles. The apostle Paul struggled. Peter struggled. In fact, Peter got carried away by hypocrisy in Galatians chapter 2, and Paul had to go confront him to his face. And you want to know something? When Paul confronted Peter, he did it publicly, and Peter was wrong, and Paul confronted him in front of everybody and said, he's wrong for what he's doing. You want to know how Peter responded? Peter loved Paul. He appreciated Paul, and he said, Paul, thank you for confronting me. And at the end of his life, he writes, our beloved brother Paul. He doesn't write, that guy I hate that confronted me. He says, our beloved brother Paul. But you want to know something? Yes, we should admit that we all struggle. But here's one of the things I would just tell you. Um, I have all kinds of problems in my life, but you want to know the places where things in my life have gone well? They are the places that I read what God said and then did what God said. And as we were raising our kids and as I've been living my life since I was a Christian, I've been trying to figure out what does God say and how can I actually do that? And if I don't want to do it, or if it's not comfortable, or if I fail, my goal is to obey God. And the good things in my life all come from the places that I obeyed. The bad things in my life, and there are plenty of those, all came from the places that I didn't obey. You want to know the people that have been the most encouraging to me? Um, when Michelle and I have been growing up and when we were young believers, when it came to marriage, when it came to parenting, when it came to working as an employee, when it came to the Christian life, you want to know who was the greatest blessing to us? It was not the people who said, yeah, I read it, but I, I don't actually do it. It's like, okay, well, no thanks. And, and also, if you think it's so great, why don't you do it? Um, but the people who have been a blessing to us are the people that we, okay, Look, they read it, they obeyed it. Look how this is working out in their life. And we actually got to see it put in practice by people who cared and obeyed what God said. In fact, issues in this passage. What does leadership and submission look like? It's been most helpful when I look at a man who's older than me who practices biblical leadership, and then he says, this is what God says, and this is how I do it, and then I watch him do it. And a lady that, that says to Michelle, hey, this is how I practice biblical submission. And then she's able to look at her, read what the Bible says, watch the way she lives her life, and then follow her example. But we live in a day where we would prefer since we don't want to obey God, that we could find leaders that don't care to obey God either. And when we see leaders who clearly disregard what God says, we leave them in leadership. I mean, let's just like look at all the passages or all the, all the examples in history of, of a guy. Like I remember Jim and Tammy Baker way back, this is before a lot of your time, but they, they actually got arrested and thrown out of their ministry for committing crimes. And I was a teenager when this happened, and I went to this charismatic church in my area, and you want to know who came and spoke? Jim and Tammy Baker. They were thinking they may have gotten thrown out of their TV ministry, but it'd be great if they came to our little church in our little town. We'd really grow. And I'm thinking to myself, these guys just committed a crime. 
and uh, you're hoping to have them as your next leader. Or um, Jimmy Swagger, right? Guys out having an affair, visiting prostitutes, and thrown right back in ministry. Why? And, then, and we just look at all that and just say, well, hey, we need to be humble and everybody struggles. No. No, when people disregard what God says, we don't follow their example, we don't follow their teaching, we don't put them in positions of leadership. And the Apostle Paul says, follow my example as I follow Christ's. And so we need to follow people's examples, um, number one, in the ways that they follow God. Every leader fails. I used to talk to students in youth group about this, and I would say, your parents are not perfect. It is your job to go home and learn from the ways that your parents are setting an example and obeying God. So you need to go home, you need to learn from that. If you have a dad that's abusive and mean and rude, don't follow that part of his example. Don't learn that. And so you need to look at what do you see at your home and say what matches Scripture. I used to tell these junior high and high school kids, here's how you know what examples to follow and which examples to ignore. Read your Bible. Where do you see your parents obeying? Follow that. Where do you see them disobeying? Don't follow that. And so we're people who, Paul says, follow my example as I follow Christ's. Um, Verse 2, I now commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I pass them down to you. So this is the first place. Hey, all this stuff is just a tradition. You're maintaining these traditions, but traditions come and go. And so this whole passage, it could come or it could go. Does that sound right to you? Uh, that's (laughs) That's the way some people approach this. So there's two different ways that traditions are used in the New Testament. One of them is the way Jesus used it, and it's negative. Jesus says to the Pharisees, why do your, or um, the uh, Pharisees say to Jesus, this Matthew 15, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them and said, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your traditions? So in that example, people's traditions are different than the Word of God. And I would say when it comes to gender roles, one of the things that we need to think about is what is something that is communicated that is God's Word, that we don't change, that we don't pass on. What are the gender roles that are traditional? Those don't carry weight for us in the sense that we have to do certain things. Um, If there was some tradition that, you know, only men can work on cars, women can't work on cars, that's like maybe some chauvinistic thing, that may be some kind of a tradition. That is not what God is saying. That is not what we follow. And so we need to be able to separate what's a tradition that we could take or leave, and what is something that God is teaching. And we should not mix those things. And the Apostle Paul here, when he says, you, you are maintaining these traditions, he's talking about God's Word. Um, the Bible tells us also, he, he just says this in 2 Thessalonians, he says, so then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by spoken word or by our letter. He's talking about God's Word being passed down. 
And this is something that is very significant for us as we think about these things. As it says, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. You want to know what, God, what Paul's saying here? I don't take God's word and then just do whatever I want with it. So can we take a second and talk? So as we approach a passage like this, when there's 50 different interpretations, what do you do? Do you just go, okay, here's 10 traditions. There's, here's 10 interpretations. There's four that make sense to me. Which is my favorite of the four? I'll pick that. Is that what we do? Um, when you're approaching any view of Scripture, do you, have you ever heard somebody say, there are three acceptable views? So it doesn't matter which one you pick. Just pick one of the acceptable views. Have you ever heard anybody say that? You know, that's wrong. We don't ever approach Scripture and just go, oh, there are two different opinions that both kind of seem reasonable. I'm going to pick the one I like. It's kind of like this movie I saw when I was a kid. And uh, there's these people, and they're, they're disarming this bomb. And uh, the, the reason this stands out is that the guy's going, oh my goodness, the timer's ticking down. They can't get away. It's about to blow up and kill everyone. And he's like, okay, should I cut the red wire or the blue wire? Should I cut the red one or the blue one? And the guy that he's with is like, oh, I don't know. Cut the blue one. Cut, cut the blue one. It's, it's the blue one. He's like, okay, are you sure I should cut the blue one? He's like, yeah, cut the blue one. He's like, all right, you're positive. Yeah, cut the blue one. The guy cuts the red one. And the bomb is diffused. Everything works fine. And then the guy who was telling him to cut the blue one looks at him and he says, if you knew which one to cut, why didn't you just do that right away? And he says, well, I wasn't sure which one to cut, but I knew you'd be wrong. <laughs> so here you have a situation where it's hard to figure out, do you cut the red one or the blue one? You're not sure. And there are passages that we approach that when we're trying to study them, and that is not most of them, but there are some passages that when we study them, it is hard to know, is it this one or is it that one? And never would we say, it doesn't matter, just pick one, because they're both acceptable. You wanna know what the acceptable view of a passage is? The right one, the one that God intended to be there? Not which one we prefer, not which one uh, this favorite person says A and this favorite person says B. No, there is one right interpretation of every passage and it is critical that we figure it out. And it's like, that guy may have done his best and cut the wrong wire and everybody blows up and dies. And what I would tell you is that when you approach a passage and you interpret it wrong, whether you interpret it wrong from good motives or bad motives, when you get the wrong interpretation, it negatively affects your life. Because God's truth impacts how we live, it impacts what we do. The whole idea of a person saying, you know what, God says, this, says either there are gender roles or God says there are not gender roles. If you study that and you're not sure which way to go and you go the wrong way, you hurt your family, you hurt yourself, you hurt your church. It is not that, 
oh man, there's four acceptable views, I'll pick one. Wrong. It is critical for us to study diligently, to study carefully, and to do what God tells us to do. And hey, sometimes it's hard. That's where the humility comes in. We look at somebody else and we're like, I'm pretty sure you're wrong. But we're humble and we realize if he could be wrong, maybe I'm wrong. But we spend our life humbly coming before God, praying for God's help, and being diligent to understand what God has told us and then to obey that. And so that is important as we approach this passage. It's controversial, but let me just tell you, you don't get to take the acceptable views and just pick the one that suits you. It is your job to figure out what God says and then change what seems suitable to you. And there are things in the Bible that I've read that have troubled me. But when I study, I know what they say. So guess what I do? I change my attitude about what troubles me, and I say, this troubles me, but I'm not going to be troubled by it. I'm going to think rightly about it. So um, we need to be people that hold to, to the traditions that God has given and that put those traditions into practice. There are tons of people that when they study this passage, they have an agenda to reach a certain conclusion because it'll upset people if they reach the other one. We don't do that, right? And that's, I got to tell you, as I'm studying this passage, going into it, there's a huge agenda on my part not to come to the conclusion that head coverings are for today. Like, I don't want to come to that conclusion. So you want to know what I do when I'm studying? I think about the fact that I have an internal prejudice that is pushing me a certain direction. And I have to think about that. And I have to be careful. And I have to say, as I'm evaluating these arguments, am I picking the one that helps me get where I want to go? Or am I picking the one that is faithful to what God says? And by the way, there are churches today that teach that this passage is saying that women need to cover their heads. And there are churches around this country where when ladies show up on Sunday morning, they cover their heads. And I wouldn't say, first of all, I'm thankful and I appreciate that they studied, they were willing to obey God. There, there are people who have written articles on this who have come to the conclusion that women should cover their head. And they, they did that not because they wanted to, but as they studied it, that's where they felt like it was going. And next week, I'll explain to you the mistake I think they make. But the issue with that is that we have to be careful that we are not pushing our own agenda, that we are working really hard to get out of a passage what God intends us to get out of that passage and that we're humble and that we submit to it. But I just wanna say something. If God says that people should wear head coverings, then they should do that and it is what's best. Um, but I don't think it's insignificant when every single person comes to church that we just go, no, you, you have to put a head covering on your head. Um, I don't think that's insignificant. 
I don't think it's insignificant and it doesn't matter. The husband should be the leader of your home. Um, no, uh, I, I disregard that. That is not the case. The woman's going to be the leader of the home. Um, that's, it's not insignificant if you say that versus saying something else. And for us to just go, oh yeah, it, it really doesn't matter. Um, for, for us to be imposing something on people that God has not imposed is a serious problem. When we, when we talk about this, and next week we'll touch on it briefly, but the whole issue of Paul, he does a similar thing in 1 Timothy chapter 2, where he says, I don't allow him to teach or exercise authority over a man. It is not insignificant if the church says to women, you cannot preach on Sunday morning. That is not insignificant. That does not not matter. If you are limiting people in a way that God does not limit people, that is a serious issue. On the other hand, if God says, I don't allow a woman to teach and exercise authority over a man, and you just decide, yeah, I don't think it means that, and we stick a a lady up here on Sunday morning to preach, when God has said that cannot happen, that is not insignificant. When God says this is how it has to be, and we go, no, I'm going to do it different. These kinds of issues are not about choosing an acceptable view. These issues are about choosing what God has told us to do. And so that's what we do. Now, here's the second thing. We need to value God's appointed roles. We need to value God's appointed roles. This is foundational for this passage, this verse. It is foundational for this, per, for this passage. It's not the most complicated part, but it is a foundation for the rest of the passage. So let's just read this. But I want you to understand, this is verse three, that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So we're going to talk about what it means to be a head, and we'll talk about what people do with this passage. But I want to just point this out. Head in this passage is mentioned 14 times. That's head, head. I mean, just constantly it's being mentioned in this passage. Husband, man or husband. Every time that you see the word man or husband, it is the same Greek word. It is translated by context. uh, The translators make a decision about whether this is a man or a husband. Same thing with the woman wife. So it's 13 times the word for man or husband is used. 16 times the word for woman or wife is used. Same thing, one word translated woman or translated wife by how the translator understands the context of that verse. And so um, this passage is about what does it mean to be a head? What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? Those are the major things that God is, that is being pointed out in this passage that there are those things. There's a head, there's a man, there's a woman. And being a man and being a woman are not the same. Like the whole idea that there is no man or woman when it comes to God's designed roles is wrong. You can't read this passage and just go, yeah, Men and women are all the same. If men and women were the same, if men and women were supposed to do this, to function in the same way in the body of Christ, he wouldn't be saying men function this way, women function this way. 
there is a distinction of function based on gender. Now we need to figure out what is that distinction because it is not insignificant for us in the body of Christ to focus on, hey, make sure you're not doing these things. Go sit in the back. Don't use your gifts. That is not insignificant for us to do things like that, for us to limit people in ways that God has not limited people. That is not an insignificant thing. We need to make sure we don't do that. And so, uh, but we can't also disregard what God has said. So let's consider this. Um, When it talks about men and women, one of the things that it says in Matthew 19, God creates gender, Matthew 19. Um, he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Um, God is the one who determines gender, and that is reflected in our biology. You can look at your body and figure out if you are a man or a woman. And how you feel about that does not determine your gender. You may in life feel discouraged and depressed and like there's no hope, but we don't take a person who says, man, I'm feeling like there's no hope, and say, well, you should probably kill yourself then. Because if you feel like there's no hope, there is no hope. That is wrong. In Christ, there is always hope. If you sin, and then you pray, and you say, God, please forgive me, and then afterwards you don't feel forgiven, Your forgiveness is not based on your feelings. God says in Isaiah 43, 25, I, even I, am he who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake and will remember your sins no more. So you are forgiven. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It doesn't matter how you feel what matters is what God says is true. And so as we consider this, this whole idea of head, um, one of the things that happens is that this is a, it's a common thing is to take the word head, and when you think about the word head, when you read this passage, when you read the other passages that contain the word head, it's obviously an authority, submission, relationship. Um, That is clear in the context. Even in this context, when talking about head coverings, it says women need to wear head coverings as a sign of authority. So even in this passage, there is that authority thing. In Ephesians, we'll read this passage this morning, um, when it talks about the husband is the head of the wife, it goes on to say that the wife needs to submit and the husband needs to lead. So it's obviously a leadership submission thing. Um, it ha- think about that when you say, hey, who's the head of the company? You're asking who's in charge. Hey, who's the head of this group? You're asking who's in charge. And when you study this word in its usage in the Old and New Testament, um, and even in secular uh, literature, it is that. One of the other views on this passage is to say no, it does not mean head, it means source. It's where something comes from. Uh, That's used, uh, I think, uh, one or two times in secular Greek to talk about the head of a river, right? The same way we would use it. And you could say, well, that's the head of the river, or it's the source of the river, right? Right. 
So people found that little minute thing and have tried to expand that and bring that into the meaning of this. And by the way, there are people who, when they're making their arguments, they, they cite Greek fathers, like people who, read, who wrote in the first century, and they cite examples from the Greek text of these things. And, and then they'll say, oh no, this proves that it's source. But you wanna know something? How many of you could go find, look up, read, and evaluate a Greek text from a church father in the first or second century? How many of you could do that? So when you cite that, are you actually allowing anybody to check what you've done? No. So this guy goes through, finds this obscure translation and then translates it, because he's a Greek expert, and it doesn't say what the person said who wrote this article saying that it means source. It doesn't say that. And it would have been very easy to cite the English translation, and anybody who read the English translation would know this person is making a point that doesn't exist, and they're hiding it, by citing something that the average person can't look at. But it doesn't teach that. So this word does mean head. And it's talking about the head of your body, which leads, you know, your head leads your body, right? Almost every time this word is used in the New Testament, it's talking about your physical head. Um, But in other places, it's talking about authority relationships. And so this is talking about authority and submission. So did God, is he the source of Jesus? Did he create Jesus? Did Jesus come from God the Father? Or is Jesus part of the Trinity? So this doesn't mean source. Let me ask you this. Does Jesus submit to the Father? Does he? I mean, Jesus said that, right? I've come here not to do my will, but God's will. Um, And the Bible talks about how Jesus was in submission before he took on human flesh. The Bible talks about Jesus being in submission while he was in his ministry on earth. The Bible talks about Jesus' present role of submission to God. And the Bible also in 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the fact that Jesus will be in submission in the future. So if we look at the relationship between God and Jesus, Is it submission? Yeah. Um, Let me ask you something else. So this is where Satan works. Um, To say that you are to submit to somebody, that is degrading. It means you're not equal in value. It means that they're more important than you. It is a degrading thing to be in submission. It means you're not equal. Can I ask you guys a question? Is Jesus the degraded member of the Trinity? Is Jesus um, inferior to God the Father? Um, Jesus is equally God, no change in essence. By the way, Paul says this in Galatians about men and women. He says there's neither male nor female, uh, slave nor free. Um, Jew nor Greek, but all are one. That is a statement about the, about which correlates perfectly to the nature of the Trinity, each member being equal. 
It has nothing to do with function, with authority, or submission. That has to do with people's value, people's essence, people's nature. And it's amazing to me, and and I'm thankful for it, that the role of the Trinity helps us understand marriage. It is not a degrading thing the way Satan would lie to you and tell you that it is. And then Satan and people will take all the examples of unbiblical leadership and they'll say, see, that's degrading. No, whatever's degrading about those things is not what God intends. The degrading things are corruptions of what God has taught. So, I'm going to stop here. And then we'll jump into this, and I think we'll finish next week or the week after. Hey, we need to be people who embrace who God has made us to be. Next week, we're going to look at what it means to be a leader. Um, We'll continue on. We'll talk about, well, what is biblical leadership? And we'll also look at what is biblical submission? And how does God intend men and women to function in their roles, the roles that he's designated? And then we'll see, and how does that impact what we are supposed to do at church? Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. And God, I just thank you that, that you love us, Lord, that you've given us your word, that we are not confused. We are not here to be lost, to be confused, to not understand. Lord, you want us to know what you tell us more than we want to know it. You are not hiding your truth. You've put it there. It is within our grasp. You have given us the Holy Spirit to help us understand it. And Lord, I know that these things are challenging. Lord, there are marriage relationships, there are relationships in the church that are not what God intends. They are hurtful, they're difficult. Lord, there are relationships that are abusive. And figuring out how to apply these things in those situations can be very challenging. Lord, help us to get it right. Lord, help us to never place a burden on people that you have not placed. Lord, help us never to open a door that you have closed. Lord, I ask that you would help us to be faithful to you in your name. Amen.